Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. And we come to you uh, each morning at 9 a.m. for uh, for our prayer, uh, or on Sundays, or divine service. Remember, tomorrow, uh, join us at 9 a.m. for the Congregation of Prayer. No, for divine service. There we go. Uh, by the way, adult catechesis will be at 8 o'clock, and then Bible study will start at 10.30 or so, right? So we uh, should finish up about a half an hour earlier, which will be nice with the heat and, uh, you know, to allow for some more summer uh, enjoyment, right, on the Sabbath day. That's the idea anyway. Let's see. Um, one thing I want to ask, I'm going to ask it now, and uh, I appreciate your feedback. The contact information is down below, um, however you're watching or listening in the notes. The, um, I've, I've found that in my pastoral conversations with folks that are part of this congregation and that can attend in person, that there are um, at least three households that are exclusively watching online and not attending in person despite admonitions to come and of course you can't receive the lord's supper virtually over the internet um which is uh, you know the chief gift of the divine service or at least one of the chief gifts however you want to uh, look at that so my thought is is to uh, do a little bit of a psychological exercise <laughs> what i mean by that is um think about a, a a large event so maybe it's the um a sporting event um super bowl or the um, world series or something or even just a regular game right and you're an avid fan and uh, you tune in regularly um but then for whatever reason you have a conflict and that conflict um makes it so that you have to record it uh, using your your digital video recorder or or maybe you can't watch it at all right or you but you could watch it later. Do you watch a sporting event later to see the play-by-play and to see how the how the game progressed? Um, or do you rather say, well, I missed it because I wasn't there on time. You know, I didn't get, I wasn't there in the moment. Um, and so I'd like to play with that psychology a little bit. And what I mean by that is to say that there are those um, who tune in live for the divine service, and but do so actually neglecting uh, the work of the Spirit and neglecting the gift of the Lord's Supper. And they do so willingly and um, not because they're, they're actually physically unable to be in attendance um, because of a medical condition or they are in nursing care, or truly a homebound, but are actually um, just taking advantage of the convenience of watching something and rather than participating, um, sharing their voices with, with the rest of the congregation receiving Christ's body and blood for their forgiveness, life, and salvation, and such. So to play with that psychology, what I'd like to do, and again, I look forward to your feedback, is to actually delay the broadcast of Sunday service. So Sunday service will be av- would be available for um, streaming, but perhaps later in the day or even on Monday, so that those who are truly homebound can still participate in the life of the church and hearing God's word and um, receiving uh, preaching. Of course, they can't participate in the supper, right? So that's why um, the homebound call on the pastor to come and visit, right? And to bring them the sacrament. Um, 
But yeah, and I know some of you aren't actually members of our of our parish. This doesn't necessarily apply to you either, because perhaps you're homebound as well um, and don't have a local congregation that can serve you or um, serves you in other ways, and this is supplemental to you. So I think in your case, watching it on replay later in the day is fine. Um, but I'd like to play with the psychology of it all and say, if you want to be in the moment, right, with the congregation in divine service, um, then you should be here in person if at all possible. Right? And if you're not able to be here in person, there's no harm in just watching it later in, on Sunday, would be my, my thought. And uh, maybe we can still stream the Bible study no, live. Um, even that, I don't know, that's kind of a compromise. So um, think about it. Whereas something like this, the congregation prayer here, this, it, it's, it was conceived to be a, a daily stream, um, although initially, or actually ideally, it's done in the home um, with your family, if you have one, or, um, but if you don't, and right, that's what this is for. So this is streaming only. We don't meet in person across the street, for example. So that's a little bit different application. But Sunday morning is, um, I don't, I preached on this on Wednesday night, so maybe you listened or heard the sermon in part. And um, my conscience is convicted or conflicted even as pastor as to um, how to best serve the congregation and provide for them, um, well, to be faithful to God's word and, and to the instructions that he gives to actually guard what he has entrusted to me faithfully. And part of that is providing correction to those um, who are living in neglect of, of the gifts of God. So having the live stream, mm, having a video uh, replay to be able to go back and watch this complete service or the sermon, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, Don says it's worth a try. Vicky says, I agree. Um, I know there might be some blowback or pushback, um, but I, I am concerned about the way that, especially as we go into the summer months that people, you know, will just sleep in and watch in their pajamas, <laughs> you know? Um, and there are some that are doing that. And now I know that because they actually confessed it to me. Um, not not in, in the confessional, just in conversation, um, in public setting. So anyway, there we go. Something uh, that I've thought about. And uh, yeah, but we'll give it a go and we'll see what happens. Um, so in any case, here we are. The Congregation of Prayer for Saturday, <laughs> June 3rd, with that long introduction. Um, and we'll put it up on the screen and let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, our psalm for the week is Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. 
My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Memory verse for the week. John, uh, actually, before we do the memory verse, eh, yeah, we usually do a meditation on the psalm. So we've been praying it all week, so maybe it's worth, I'll get it all back up on the screen here, uh, doing a little bit of a devotional reading. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. In the tradition of the East, this psalm is recited each morning as part, as the final part of the hexapsalmos, literally six psalms, near the beginning of Matins. Traditionally in the West, this psalm is prayed at Matins on Saturdays. Hey, hey, look at this. In both cases, it is obviously thought to be a good psalm with which to begin the day. Thus we pray, make me to hear your mercy in the morning, for I put my hope in you. And as we begin the day with this prayer, we are especially concerned with the governance of God's Holy Spirit, which is why it's appointed for this week, right? Your good spirit will lead me in the right land, we pray with assurance. This governance of the Holy Spirit is essential to who we are because, quote, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, end quote, Romans 8.14. Thus we pray in this psalm, make known to me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. In the Bible, walking under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is especially contrasted with walking, quote, according to the flesh, end quote, a contrast elaborated in Galatians. Quote, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Apostle then goes on to provide contrasting lists of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, closing his contrast with the exhortation. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 25. It is particularly to be observed here that St. Paul's treatment of the governance of the Holy Spirit is developed in the context of struggle, of resistance to temptation. Being led by the Spirit of God is not an easy thing, for there are spiritual enemies at work to subvert our efforts. We talked about this yesterday with uh, our Lord's own temptation in the wilderness, right? In the same respect, Psalm, the psalm also speaks of this experience of conflict with enemies of the soul. Quote, for the enemy has afflicted my soul, he has humbled my life in the earth, he has placed me in the deep shadows, like the dead of the ages. The Holy Spirit is distinct from our own human spirits. Indeed, this psalm speaks of the human spirit as anxious and failing. To our frail human spirit, the Holy Spirit is a fountain of renewing hope, inasmuch as the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Romans 6, or excuse me, 8, 16 to 17. All right, so we're talking about walking by the Spirit. Right? It means suffering according to the Spirit. 
such as the ongoing daily struggle and suffering of which the psalm is concerned. At the same time, the very foundation for all this ascetical struggle is grace, not law. The foundation for this struggle is grace, not law. Such is certainly the teaching of Galatians 5 and Romans 8 that serves to throw the proper light on psalm on the psalm in which we pray, God, hear me in your righteousness, not our own, and then go on to plead, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living will be justified before you. The Mother Church is careful to bring this truth to our minds in a special way during Lent, when our struggle is the toughest and most demanding. Thus, she has us begin the season with the sober assessment of ourselves in the great canon of St. Andrew. This is an Eastern tradition. And each Sunday we pray in the Epiclesis of the Liturgy of St. Basil, quote, not through our own righteousness, for we have done no good deed upon the earth, but because of your mercies and compassions. Nothing is further from the true religion of Christ than self-justification and, quote, feeling good about ourselves. The one thing obvious about the man of prayer in the psalm is that he appears not to entertain a very positive self-image. All right. So I'm proud of who I am. That's the theme of this month for some, right? uh, of things that actually should bring shame. Right? And the psalmist puts that in the proper um, framework, right? I'm not going to self-justify myself or feel good about myself apart from the righteousness of faith that is the forgiveness of sins in Christ. He's right. This psalm also speaks of praying with arms raised in cruciform, which the early Christian art and literature show to have been the believer's preferred posture of prayer. I spread out my hands to you. We've talked about that. Oh, I have to put full screen, right? Where you put the hands out as, as in the cross. But also because the hands open, receive. Oops, let's go back to there. There we go. One may also pray the psalm in a purely Christological sense, that is of Christ, and reference, with particular attention to the Sabbath rest of Jesus in the grave, awaiting the Sunday resurrection. Almost every line takes on an enhanced poignancy in that context which may well have inspired the West, particularly the rule of St. Benedict, to assign the psalm for Saturday mornings. Nice. All right, so more than appropriate for the day, <laughs> being Saturday. Now we say our memory verse, the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 14, verse 26. All right. In our catechism, third article of the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Okay. So tomorrow is Holy Trinity Sunday or the octave of Pentecost. Um, that might be the better way to think about it. Um, yes, it's Holy Trinity Sunday, but we don't speak about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the abstract as a just an idea, a big idea even. But on the octave of Pentecost, we hear the same themes as Pentecost. So the giving of the Holy Spirit attached to preaching and the gift of baptism. 
right? And there's a special um, focus on upon baptism, but also preaching and the gift of the Spirit in both, right? And so we hear that again on Holy Trinity Sunday. So we're not going to talk about the Father any more than we talk, um, than we can, which is actually to speak of the Son and the, to whom the Son has been revealed by the Spirit, all right? Um, but <laughs> our Old Testament text for tomorrow um, does speak of a kind of a majestic appearance of Father, Son, and Spirit. And uh, it's kind of hard to get your head around what's going on here, but it's something that uh, holds central place in our liturgy in the uh, canticle called the Sanctus, Holy, 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 right? The Song of the Angels. And then also with John's um, confession, the behold. Is it John? No. Oh, no, the, the, um, the voices of the children. Uh, as they as Jesus entered the holy city on Palm Sunday. All right. So Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. All right. So look at the, the image here from uh, Eyes of Life. Isn't that something? The train of his robe filling the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Right, so large angelic beings with six wings of fire. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, of his glory. Right, the trishaglion, tri, uh, I think is how the Greeks call it, right? The three holies. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe to me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What a way to start your ministry, right? (laughs) And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged all right so we have uh, the removal of of well at least the forgiveness of sins given to isaiah here um, in this heavenly vision but is it a vision it sounds like uh no he's actually taken up into the heaven to see this right, in his body, which is an interesting idea, because then his mouth is touched with a burning coal from the altar, which would, uh, well, which would kill, wouldn't it? I mean, it sounds like some kind of uh, medieval torture or something, right? Um, but here it actually forgives sins. So we have um, the, the, the fire actually purging away sins. We've talked about this in regards to Ezekiel um, a few chapters ago on Sunday morning, where the um, the purifying fire, right, of the smelter that removes the dross from the precious metal, from the commodity. Right. So that's happening here. And it's all because of this vision that I think uh, the artist here captures so well. And you see the burning coal taken from the altar. I don't know if you can see that. It's very small on your screen probably. Um, is actually shaped in the form of a crucifix, which he gets exactly right. right? The fire of God's wrath and judgment, the forgiveness of sins, is in the burning coal of Christ's suffering and death. A beautiful connection there. All right. This is where art can be very powerful. So um, let's hear what Luther has to say about this text just a little bit. And uh, uh, what section should we read? Unless you have a question about a particular part. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Actually, uh, let's back up a little bit. Hard to make out, Don says. Okay. Well, fair enough. Maybe. No, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, you can Google search for it. Isaiah 6. Just look for Isaiah 6 on Google Images. All right. Uh, let's talk about woe to me. For I was, for I am undone, for I am silent. Here Isaiah grants that he is lost because of the vision, so that nothing conflicts with the other passage, right? Um, thus the prophet says that he is completely reduced to nothing, or reduced to silence, of which let nothing more be said. All right, and he goes into some Hebrew here. Therefore this glory is revealed against the stiff necks and against Satan in men's hearts, as if the prophet were saying, Quote, formerly I too used to think that I was holy and that I could teach properly, but now I am found to be like the false prophets because I have unclean lips. This is the distress and trial of conscience than which no other is more dreadful, namely to be put on trial concerning word and doctrine. He confesses that he has defiled hands and defiled lips, that is, an unclean mouth, and he says that the entire nation is thus afflicted. Um, skipping ahead, for by faith, says Peter, the hearts are cleansed, not by works or merits. Thus saintly Isaiah too, even to the extent that he has taught the law for the purpose of touching consciences, is defiled and dies as a defiled man. Hence the vision has this purpose, that the righteousness of people may be condemned and that they may aspire to the glory which the prophet saw, that is, move from the law to grace. The prophet is saying, We must become holier so that we may go to the Lord sitting on his lofty throne. We must hear the seraphim in the heavenly fires. You see, he brings charges against himself as well as against the people. This has been no small reason for great disagreement. For such things, the saints, um, the saintlets do not want to hear since they regard their own teaching to be most true and most pure. All right. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. For this reason, he says, I am lost. But it turned out for the salvation of the prophet that he was thus thrust down to hell so that he might be led away and lead others away from the uncleanness of the law to the purity of Christ so that he alone might reign. Then flew uh, one seraphim to me. Here now a resurrection from the dead takes place. So you see what Luther does. He's saying this is a story of the prophet's death and resurrection, dying to self and rising to life in Christ. We see that sinners who acknowledge their sins are not abandoned. The prophet cries out that he is lost, that he is oppressed with the consciousness of a defiled mouth, and that he has felt um, sin and death. And on account, he obtained forgiveness. Quote, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, which we'll say tomorrow, actually, in liturgy. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So also, uh, 1 John 5.18, God hates the sin of hardening and is being defended. Let them be cleansed and let them confess their uncleanness, especially that of the mouth. For where lips and doctrine are clean, their unclean works follow. Therefore the seraph approaches to set the prophet free from his sin, but he uses means. So then two things are set forth to the prophet, namely word and sign. The Lord often acts this way. The lips are cleansed with fire. This is the sign. The word is your guilt is taken away. Here our sacraments are established, which is why we pray this at the sacrament. Yet these are disdained and shamefully handled by some who say nothing external benefits the soul, right? Uh, to the point about uh, streaming, right? I can just 
listen to your sermon online. It doesn't I don't need to be physically present there to receive the same gift. And those of you who have tried know <laughs> it's not the same um, being there in person and hearing and being with fellow saints as trying to watch online. All right. Um, but let them criticize as much as they want. What Isaiah experiences here is not a fairy tale, but as there are, there are fearful and serious voices, so there is also absolution, which then is granted through the addition of the sign to the word. Now what the sign could do, this our baptism can also do. All right, so and then he connects this purging of sin by fire to be connected to our baptism when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and cleanses us of our sin. So lots of connections to baptism, to the preaching of God's word, which we talked about is really the theme of this octave of Pentecost, right? And um, I think also maybe a note there for pastors in particular, but I'd say for every Christian, I think I had um, encouraged the congregation on Wednesday night, if I think it was, was it this Wednesday night? Or maybe it was the previous Wednesday, they all blur together, um, you know, to actually preach the word to one another. This is actually part of our our sacred calling as Christians, as royal priests of the household of God, is um, to not be silent, but to speak God's word to one another. Yes, there it is true that there is the office of the holy ministry, the pastoral office, uh, one man being set apart, or sometimes multiple men being set apart to serve the congregation in public assembly, and to be uh, well catechized in the faith, to know the languages, um, to be able to uh, refute and to encourage and to admonish, right? So that's true, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that then you have no responsibility to speak. As a matter of fact, um, the scriptures are quite clear. The responsibility to teach God's word is primarily given to the head of the household. And uh, so, yeah, anyway, something to be said here. The Holy Spirit forgives you so that you can speak with, well, from him, from God's word. All right. And then uh, the epistle for tomorrow is from Romans 11. And again, thinking of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity and the, the majesty of, of what um, God gives in baptism. Um, think of Paul's meditation here, where I think he's um, it's almost becoming liturgical. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Right, so Paul just really meditating upon, um, well, in the same way as Isaiah, of what he has seen, right? The glory of God revealed. To consider this, let's um, look at our Lutheran confessions, namely um, the article on the eternal foreknowledge and election of God, which is one of those majestic doctrines that um, is a gift to us and beautiful, but at the same time also a, a bit intimidating. That God knows beforehand um, who you are and what, what you're going to do, and he also chooses beforehand to save you, even apart from you, right? But this is good. Because <laughs> if it were on us, uh, no one would be saved. All right. So the teaching about this article, this is article 11 of the formula, uh, about this article can be used for our benefit, comfort, and salvation, right? So that's the chief purpose of talking about God's eternal foreknowledge and election, is for benefit, comfort, and salvation or comfort and salvation in particular. But a distinction must be made with special care between what is clearly revealed about God's election, or the ele- about election in God's word, and what is not revealed, right? which we've talked about at length. For in addition to what has been revealed in Christ about this, which we have spoken of up to this point, God has kept secret and concealed much about this mystery. 
He reserved it for his wisdom and knowledge alone. We should not investigate this, indulge our thoughts in the matter, draw conclusions, or inquire curiously. Instead, we should cling to the revealed word. This warning is most urgently needed. Our curiosity always has greater pleasure in giving itself to these matters than with what God has revealed to us about this matter in his word. So we only say what his word says, and we stop. Everything else is speculation. We cannot harmonize God's revelation with our reason, our imagination, which we have not been commanded to do anyway. So reason and revelation have not been commanded to be harmonized. Oh, that's an interesting thought. There is no doubt that God foresaw about the time of the world and still knows exactly which people who are called uh, will believe and which will not believe. He also knows which of the converted will persevere and which will not persevere. He knows uh, which will return after a fall and which will fall into stubbornness. He also knows the number of how many there are of these on either side. Beyond all doubt, this is perfectly known to God. However, God has reserved this mystery for his wisdom. He has revealed nothing to us about it in his word, much less commanded us to investigate it with our thoughts. Instead, he has seriously discouraged us from that in Romans 11 verse 33, right? Peering into the mystery and trying to un- <laughs> unravel or uh, reveal what has been hidden. Well, good luck with that. God, if God has hidden it, he's, you're not going to find it. Therefore, we should not reason in our thoughts, draw conclusions, or inquire curiously into these matters, but cling to his revealed word to which he points to us. All right, now this also applies um, not only to God's uh, foreknowledge and election of us unto salvation, but I would suggest into the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. So we can talk about this tomorrow if you like. Right? In particular, we say what God says about himself, and that's it. <laughs> uh, we don't need to use metaphors or analogies to try to better understand God the Holy Trinity. We, we have some icons, some art that try to picture such things. Uh, but we can, as we have been for the last couple of weeks, um, just hear from John. For example, John, Jesus speaking in John's Gospel, right? no one knows the Father except the Son, and to whom the Son has revealed him. You can't know God as Father apart from Jesus. right? Um, and actually, you can't even call God Father apart from being grafted into Jesus, his Son. Unless you've been made children in Jesus by his baptism into his name, right? then there is no God as Father for you. Right? Same thing with the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit can only be received by faith as well. Not only does it give faith, um, but it also is by faith then that we see what he has done. Right? Without any doubt, God also knows and has determined for everyone the time and honor of his call and conversion. But this time has not been revealed to us. Therefore, we have to the command always to keep proclaiming the word and trusting the time and hour of conversion to God. Acts 1.7 all right, this is it's really a magnificent article. It's really worth reading uh, because it's also a doctrine I think that we as Lutherans uh, have never really resolved. Um, it's been the chief source of conflict in the Missouri Synod since its inception. That is um, the doctrine of election. All right, and so uh, reading Formula Eleven is really important. I think um, perennially. Also, let me skip ahead here. Regarding things in this dispute that would soar too high too high and beyond these limits, we should, with Paul, place our finger on our lips and remember to say, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Right? Just That's what he means. We, we neither can nor should investigate and fathom everything in this article that is on election and foreknowledge. The great apostle Paul um, declares, 
after having argued much about this article from God's revealed word, as soon as he comes to the point where he so shows what God has reserved for his hidden wisdom about this mystery, he suppresses and cuts it off with the following words. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord? In other words, we cannot know about matters outside of and beyond what God has revealed to us in his word. This eternal election of God is to be considered in Christ and not outside of or without Christ, which is the key. Right? No one can know of their salvation apart from Jesus, and we can only consider salvation in Jesus. For in Christ, the Apostle Paul testifies, he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world. As it is written, he has blessed us in the beloved, Ephesians 4, or 1, 4, and 6. However, this election is revealed from heaven through the preaching of his word when the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Right? Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. Christ says, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Concerning the Holy Spirit, Christ says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John sixteen fourteen. So the entire Holy Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, directs all people to Christ as to the book of life, and whom they... Sh- they should seek the Father's eternal election, for this has de- been decided by the Father from eternity, whom He would s- He would save, uh, whom He would save, He would save through Christ. There we go. Need a comma in there. Christ Himself says, "No one comes to the Father except through Me." And again, I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved. Right. Oh, there's so much more that could be spoken of here. This is great for Trinity Sunday. I'm gonna have to consider more about this. Maybe try to integrate it into the preaching for tomorrow. All right. All right, so we go as far as the Bible says, and then that's where we stop, right? Whether it's the doctrine of the Trinity or God's foreknowledge or his election, right? Um, and even, um, you know, Vicky's comment here, I have a married couple friends that are Lutheran and don't come in person. And I think it's perfectly, they think it's perfectly fine to watch online. I've told them exhaustively <laughs> how it is not. Yeah. Um, there's a um, podcast I listen to that, um, well, one of, the, one of the hosts is Christian, I think, but uh, well, I know he is. But but regardless, it doesn't really matter. Um, he has they have a slogan. I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes. Um, uh, I have to look it up now because I just lost it in my head. Something about commun the value of community, the value of community. Let's see. I think I reposted it on Twitter at some point here, so maybe I can find it. Uh, community is something. Why did I? What was it? Community is protection. I think that's what it is. All right. When did I even post it? Who even knows? Yeah, I post too many things apparently because it's being very hard to find what I'm looking for here. Okay, I lost it. Community is protection. We'll just say that. That sounds right. Community is protection. That doesn't. That doesn't quite rhyme correctly. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a nice little slogan to say um, that, uh, well, because this podcast, actually, they have what they call meetups, uh, and uh, they recognize that it's, you know, while everybody can listen to the show online, it, it actually is essential that they that you find people like you and meet with them in person. It's not community as protection. Yeah, I can't think of it. Let's see if there's a meetup nearby. Uh, filter state. No meetups in Wisconsin at the moment on the list. All right. 
Well, when I think of it, I'll find it. Um, but I think we need to think of the church that way, is that um, when we absent ourselves physically from the community, um, we are we are cutting ourselves off from the community. You remember the admonition of the preacher um, to the Hebrews, Hebrews, whatever chapter it is, can't remember. Um, Do not forsake the gathering together as some have done. Right, Forsaking the gathering is to forsake the, the way that the gifts are delivered. And I don't think we've really thought that hard about it and especially in regards to um, internet use and how the internet does not build community, it actually disrupts community, families, schools. Um, virtual church is no more real than virtual school um, or what any of the other virtuals that we've come up with, right? Um, and they're not actually virtues because they're, they're not embodied, so they can't actually have the, the veer, which is the man. <laughs> All right, well, anyway. Okay, so our hymn this week uh, was the hymn for hymn of the day for Pentecost, or one of our hymns for Pentecost anyway. And uh, maybe you don't know the uh, the history of this hymn, "Come Holy Ghost, God and Lord," uh, but it actually has quite an extensive history. It's among the several hymns by Martin Luther that were originally Latin chants. We take a Latin chant, make it in um, well, originally German, now English. In this case, the original chant is an antiphon for the vespers of the vigil of Pentecost. So you would sing it at the evening service on Pentecost Eve. Veni Sanctus Spiritus Reple Tuorum Corda Fidelium et Tui Amoris Ines Ice uh, Ignem Ascende Qui Per Diversitatem Linguarum Tunctarum uh, Gentis in Unitate Fidei Congregatsti. Ooh, nice. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in them the fire of your love. You who through manifold tongues have gathered the peoples, the congregation, into the unity of faith. And it, don't confuse this antiphon with the better known sequence hymn, Veni Sancti Spiritus et Emititi Celitus. All right, so there's a couple different ones. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's start Veni Creator, but they're different. From this came in the 15th century, a German stanza beginning, uh, Cum Heiliger Geist Herregott. Luther spoke highly of this German version, remarking the hymn, Come Holy Spirit, Lord and God, was composed by the Holy Ghost himself, both words and music. <laughs> That's from his table talk. Luther imp- improved this German version and added two additional stanzas. His version first appeared in the 1524 Erfurt in Critian under the heading, Der Gesang Veni Sanctus Spiritus thus associating the hymn with its original Latin chant. It's, you know, the song on um, Come Holy Spirit. It also appeared the same year in Walther's Geistliche Gesang Buchlein. Interestingly, this is one of the few in Walther's collection that placed the cantus firmus in the uppermost voice, discantus, instead of in the, of the tenor, which was typical of the time. The hymn is uh, reprinted in a number of later Lutheran hymnals and Johann Spangenberg's influential, influential uh, Cantionis Ecclesiastici Latini, that is the Kirchengesange uh, Deutsch, 1545, placed it first in the German section of the book with the direction that it is to be sung at the beginning of all services. We've read from Spangenberg here. The translation is a composite. Many hymnals and hymnal companions credit it to Catherine Winkworth, altered. But in fact, only the first three lines of the first stanza and a fraction of the stanza three are hers. About one-third is taken from Richard Massey, 1800-1887, and the rest 
and the synthesis of Winkworth and Massey translations appears to be the work of August Kroll, 1845-1923, for the hymn book for use of Evangelical Lutheran Schools and Congregations, from Decorah, 1879, which he accredited. Kroll is overly generous when he himself credits Winkworth um, as the source of the translation in this hymnal. Some very minor changes in the 1879 translation appeared in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book of 1889, number 111, which in turn formed the basis for the translation for the Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book with Tunes, 1912, number 257, and then further revisions appeared in the October 20th, 1936 issue of the Lutheran Witness and the Lutheran Hymnal, 1941, number 224. TLH changed the first line to Come Holy Ghost from Come Holy Spirit, the wording in all previous hymnals discussed and in Winkworth's Lyrica Germanica. All right, so that you can thank Kevin Hildebrand for all that um, lengthy study on the origin of the hymn. So, what do you say, 111? Oh no, this is not the English, this is the, the old German hymnal from here. Here it is. Here's the first English hymnal. These are copy from our congregation. All right, so 111 is, I think, what he said, right? Which is under the section, uh, no, it's not 111. What number did he say? 200-something? Huh, which one is this? Let me look here. This is hymnal for Evangelical Lutheran Missions. Oh, no, that's the mission hymnal. That's not the right one. This is another German hymnal. That's not going to work. Where's the English ones? I don't know where the English one went. Oh, maybe that's it. Hold on. Oh, I don't know where mine went. That's okay. We'll just sing. Uh, Before we do that, we sing together, pray together, recite the creed together, confess and receive absolution together, commune together, together, together. Yeah, I like that comment. That's good. And again, we want to be careful here. Uh, We're not talking about those who could take advantage, as in years, decades previous, with things like um, burned CDs or before that, you know, tape ministries, where we take tapes to people who are truly homebound and could not attend in person. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. That would be a great use of the internet. We're talking about those who could gather in person and just don't do so. Um, now, not for any kind of, um, I guess you just have to say legitimate reason, just because. Right? So, yeah, well, we'll try it out. We'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, thanks for your feedback on that. All right, let's sing.
your fervent love to them impart. Lord, by the brightness of your light, in holy faith your church unite. From every land and every tongue, this to your praise, O Lord our God, be sung. Alleluia, alleluia. Come, holy light, thy divine, now cause the word of life to shine. Teach us to know our God aright, and call him Father with delight. From every error keep us free. Let none but Christ our Master be, that we in living faith abide. In him our Lord with all our might confide. Alleluia, alleluia. Come, holy fire, comfort true. Grant us so will your work to do. And in your service to abide, let trials turn us on aside. Lord, by your power prepare each heart, and to our weakness strengthen heart, that bravely here we We pray. On this day, you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy consolation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O Holy Spirit, who cannot by our, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord, or come to him, call us to faith in Jesus by the gospel. Enlighten us every day with your gifts of baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper. And sanctify and keep us and the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Forgive us our sins every day and give us the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Pray today uh, in Thanksgiving with Ava and Sherry celebrating their birthday. Pray for the households of our church, especially Steve and Jackie. Norman, Sandy, Jennifer, Catherine, Amanda, Doug, and Teresa. We pray in Thanksgiving for the service of Mrs. Polster and Mrs. Larson. Pray for our catechumens, especially Allie, Dasha, and Teresa, continuing here in the summer. 
Pray for all those ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Dale and Pam, Joe, Kelsey, Marion, Naomi, Christopher, Marcy, Brad, Gus and Eileen, Ron, Doug, Hoshea, Pat, Wade, Wendell, and Darlene. Pray for our homebound, Marcy, Walt, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. We pray for our mission of the month, that is Sharon Richardson Community Hospice. And we pray for those grieving, especially the family and friends of David. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's the congregation prayer for today, Saturday, June 3rd, 2023. Um, it's good to have you with us here uh, to pray, to confess, and what What else do we do? Quite a bit together, right? Hopefully it's been edifying for you and an encouragement for you. Uh, come and join us tomorrow at 9 a.m. for divine service, uh, 8 o'clock for adult catechesis, 10.30 or so for Bible study, easy to remember. All right, uh, uh, we'll see what gets streamed and what doesn't. All right, and it's a... I'm just, it will get streamed eventually, right? You'll be able to watch it eventually. But um, anyway, so for that, uh, we'll bid you fond farewell. And I hope to see you tomorrow in person. If not, Monday morning, we'll get right back at it with Matthew. See you then. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.